Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Today on Obsessed with Design, I catch up with Christian Helms, founder and creative director at Helms Workshop. Christian and I talk about the immense amount of work that he's done in the beer industry and his internship with Michael Beirut, which I had no idea about. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Christian Helms. Okay, guys, welcome all the way from Austin, Texas, Christian Helms. Christian is the founder and creative director of independent strategic brand design studio Helms Workshop. His bio is simply Whitman, Waits, Southern Lit, and Simcoe. And my first real in-person exposure to he and his work was at, I believe, the very first brand new conference in New York City. And I remember that being a bit of a drinking from the fire hose presentation with so (laughs) much work. And I'm hopeful today sort of becomes the audio version of that in whatever way that's even possible. So Christian, I'm excited to chat with you today and hear more about your story. But first of all, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate you having me on. So let's unpack a little bit what Whitman Waits, Southern Lit, and Simcoe is all about. Yeah, so it's it's a really uh, it's it's a fun way to sidestep having to write a traditional bio, um, and you know I have that for for speaking stuff or for you know for new business, and they're always just either you know like forced, witty, fun, creative agency angle, or you know this pile of awards and clients and experience and they don't really tend to say a whole lot about who somebody really is um there's sort of this you know paragraph essay of a, a resume so um with the agency we just had everyone pick you know four things that sort of define something more about them than just the work um and so you've got whitman obviously walt whitman um who is my guy tom waits who is also my guy um, Southern Lit, which is the primary pile of books I'm reading at any time. And then Simcoe, because I'm a beer guy and it's a hop. <laughs> right. I think we've we've got a friend of ours who is going to start a new beer called Keep It Simcoe Stupid. Uh, That's great. Anytime you can actually <laughs> get a name through the uh, the trademark process at this point, uh, it's a win and, uh, and a little wit in there is even better. So nicely done. Yeah, I, one of our friends is in the intellectual property biz, and she does a lot of work with, um, uh, you know, different brewers and distillers and and wine winemakers. Um, and the crazy thing is in the trademark world that if you have a trademark for a wine, then that precludes anybody from using that same name for a beer, and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. So it's you know you're not just competing with other beers, but you're competing with every other kind of spirit or beverage. Exactly. It's a huge challenge that we deal with a lot. And more often than not, it's, yeah, it's something in, you know, an adjacent industry like wine, or it's a small, you know, practically home brewing set up in like, you know, Poughkeepsie or, or God knows where that the guy's just named every single batch of beer he's, he's ever brewed something different. And he's just holding all these, (laughs) these first to market rights to these great names. So, um, yeah, you have to find some pretty creative ways to to build a matrix for naming at this point within craft beer. Do you guys end up helping out a lot with, with naming and and with that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, absolutely. We start uh, all of our brand building projects with strategy, and then that fuels a, a matrix for naming. And generally, you know, we're working with either startup breweries or breweries that have been around for you know 25 or or more years. And with startups, we generally try to focus on the launch portfolio and building basically a system of names that interrelate and work together um, in a smart way to kind of say something about the brewery. And then essentially build some guidelines for naming moving forward. Um, we have some brands that we do long-term brand maintenance with, and we help them with naming all the way down the road. But often, um, you know, after traditional brand building, there are going to be tons of small releases and that sort of thing that a brewery just names on their own. So at least giving them sort of a, a strategic structural foundation to, to push and pull against helps them um, in figuring out how to do that stuff. Well, maybe we can rewind a little bit here. Um, one of my favorite questions to ask our guests, and it's usually the first words out of my mouth, but I'd be curious to hear what your origin story is in this world of design and branding. How'd you find your way uh, to where you are today? Yeah. Um, let's see if I can do that in a concise way because it's a little meandering. Um, so I went to school, grew up in North Carolina, went to school at the University of North Carolina uh, for journalism. There wasn't really a design program there. Uh, and was, you know, I grew up in a really small town and kind of on the North Carolina, South Carolina border, there weren't designers where I was from, you know, it just wasn't an industry that I was even aware of. So I was in college taking, you know, bad art classes and journalism classes and trying to kind of find ways where I could touch into both of those spaces. Um, and towards the end of college, found design, and it was just that epiphany, you know, it's like, holy smokes, this is the thing, you know, this is the thing I want to do forever. Um, but the second epiphany was I have no skill set whatsoever, right? Like, <laughs> I have no portfolio, I have no business even trying to get my foot in the door anywhere. So I worked at the, uh, at the student newspaper to get a little bit of experience and eventually saved up money and went to a place called Portfolio Center in Atlanta. And it's kind of a two-year boot camp for, for design and brand. Um, and it's a great way to get your foot in the door in the industry. And from there, uh, got an internship at Pentagram in New York with Michael Beirut, um, which was like a, a second education. Um, the guy's just brilliant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, spending half a year with him um, is worth four years in school. Absolutely. And uh, continued to freelance a bit in New York. Kind of got burned out in New York visited Austin for a creative conference and just fell in love with the place. Um, you know, I grew up in a small town, so smaller kind of made sense for me in terms of sensibility. And Austin had enough going on to be interesting and compelling and culturally significant, um, but felt small enough to be kind of familiar as well. And I landed at an agency here called McGeer Jesse, a really great advertising agency that has a really good sense of brand. Um, and who do a really good job of being very design forward in the advertising that they do. Um, and from there, eventually from freelancing, just sort of was able to parallel hop out on my own, um, which eventually evolved in, into a team of nine now. Um, so, so yeah, it's been kind of a natural, slow evolution, I guess. So how did you end up landing an internship with Michael Beirut? It was actually a competition. Um, where they took 60 kids at school. Well, I mean, kids were all in our like probably mid to late 20s um, and basically just pitted us against each other in this design competition. And they had uh, 
his associate partner, Kerry Powell, come down and judge. Um, and I was just lucky enough to to win the thing. Uh, it was a complete lark. And I'm still kind of amazed it mm-hmm. happened because it really, you know, set a trajectory and put me in touch with all these great folks who I don't think I've ever would have gotten to know at that age um, without that at pentagram email address, which, which comes in really handy <laughs> in terms of getting great. folks to write you back. So we had uh, Michael on the show uh, about a year ago, and uh, I think I just saw on Facebook this morning that it's his his actual birthday today. So this will this will yeah, air cool. here in another week or two. But but happy birthday, Michael Beirut, if you're listening. Well, maybe tell us a little bit more about Helms Workshop today. Kind of kind of started there. I guess you landed there with your with your origin story. But tell us about kind of how it shaped and staffed and the the various roles that you guys have there today. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great time to have that conversation because we're in the dead middle of basically a strategic brand exercise for the agency at this point. Um, You know, we're a number of years removed from from really defining who we are and how we talk to clients and kind of teach folks what we're about and how to how to access us. Um, So we're diving back into that and sort of defining who we are now and where we want to go for the path forward. Like you mentioned, we're an independent brand building studio. We're full service, ground up from strategy through identity, and then every touch point you can imagine, um, digital packaging, environment, et cetera. And I think to date, um, well, actually I'll back up. So there are nine of us, uh, myself, um, a project manager, and then designers, writers, and our web development partner, uh, Dave. So it's a small group, but again, you know, I, I kind of started my professional experience in that pentagram environment and pentagram such a great trick. And I mean that as a huge compliment where, you know, clients see this big building and it's filled with all these people, but all these people are on these separate teams of just a handful of folks tackling stuff like United Airlines and all of these huge brands. So I learned that you can take a really agile, smart team that's small and do a ton with it. You know, it's it's limitless if you attack it the right way. So we've kind of grown slowly and, and you know, gradually over time, just adding folks when the right cultural fit um, showed up. And a lot of that is kind of folks coming up as interns and making themselves just, you know, irreplaceable. Um, they just become so valuable. You want to keep them around. But in terms of what we do, um, I think, you know, overall, what I hope our signature is are really smart, really well-executed solutions that feel very human and warm and spirited, that have a real personality and character and wit to them. I hope when folks see our work, they can tell, you know, that we put as much heart into them as the clients that we partner with, you know, put into what they do. Um, and even better if there's some sort of remarkable, unconventional, you know, aspect of the solution. Um, that's, you know, for me where it's just a sweet spot that I really enjoy. So what about you in particular? So with a, a title like founder and creative director, that kind of implies to me that you are, um, at the very least a little bit player coach. So how much, how much of your day or week are you spending actually doing design or sketching or versus going to meetings and doing emails and presenting or, or even tracking down the next client? It's a little bit of all of that. Um, you just, you just described 
basically, yeah, a day um, or certainly a week for me. We have a really great team of designers and, you know, I've learned over the year to, you know, help frame a situation for a good solution. Um, sometimes, you know, creative direct really hands on and directly and sometimes step back and, you know, let them find it, even if they, you know, have to, to explore some areas, you know, around the solution or in the opposite direction before they find their way back to it. And those are really the best for me is when I get surprised by a solution that's something different than what I would do, but it nails strategy and it, it fits, you know, where we need to go. So a bit of design here or there, but at this point for me, it's more direction and then jumping in and doing really clunky examples of something that's just enough to illustrate an idea without jumping in and solving it completely. Because it's to work when somebody's stealing the ball. Um, so <laughs> I try to show some restraint there. And then absolutely, I'm talking with the potential clients and doing all that you know stuff that keeps the business moving forward as well. One of the things that I really like about us is we're a little smaller than we could be, and it lets us be sort of picky and choosy about who we work with. So we have a, you know, a roster of clients that we really enjoy and believe in and, you know, are are inspired by, honestly, um, and they're folks that you actually want to spend time with. So that sounds like kind of a no brainer, but it can be kind of rare <laughs> in this industry. And it's it's something that we're really proud of. As far as the size goes. Do you guys see growth sort of organically that as, as you feel the need and as you find those, you know, as you said, sort of the, the people that you can't do without, um, that become indispensable, that that's why you decide to grow or do you have kind of a future target of, you know, doubling in size in three years or, or, you know, why, why kind of the size that you are right now? That's a great question. I would say if you look at the brand strategy um, in progress, there would be a cursor in that <laughs> in that question <laughs> um, on on my worksheet here. And it's actually it's literally here in front of me um, just by coincidence. Um, I want to be able to take advantage of all the great opportunity that's headed our way. So I never want to have to turn away work that we would be really, you know, aligned with and excited to to dive into because we're we're too small at the same time uh i don't want to grow just for the sake of growth and our culture is hugely important to us here we're really protective of it we're a really tight-knit collaborative team of like zero personal ego but great group ego um in terms of just this strong you know teamwork atmosphere um so we really sort of white knuckle new hires because, you know, it still feels like one bad apple could just throw the whole thing off. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not as easy as just kind of doubling in, in a year to, you know, to staff up for some big project that may go away. Um, we have to think a little bit more deliberately about what we want that to be. So I think we will grow in the coming years. Um, one of the drivers for that with me is we've, we have team members now who have been with us for a bit and I want to create the opportunity for them to really ladder up in their responsibility and their role here. Um, and to do that, we need to grow a little bit so someone else can step into their places. That's part of it as well. As long as we can continue to 
to foster the sort of client relationships that we have now um, and the sort of brands we get to build, you know, I don't mind growing. Um, I think it could be ultimately a really good thing. So I got to think um, some of the listeners are maybe picturing a, a, or thinking through a similar question of like, okay, you were at Pentagram, you were working with Michael Beirut. Like what made you think, you know what? I think I could do this on my own. <laughs> I don't need a pentagram. I'm just going to, I'm just going to bounce and see what's out here. Like, has this always been a desire of yours to start your own business and, you know, entrepreneurship bug, or was it just a lack of long-term opportunities with pentagram or like why, why leave the the mothership and, and forge your own path? Sure. Well, you know, I was an intern at pentagram. So, um, although I was, Luckily, an intern who really got taken under, you know, the wing of leadership and got to do some really cool stuff that was sort of uncommon um, for for interns. But it was really just a natural evolution. Um, you know, in the beginning, I was just so excited to be a working designer. The fact that I got to do this for a living was just, you know, and still is pretty amazing. And as I got deeper into working in the industry, I think I naturally wanted a little bit more control over the work and the interaction with the client. Um, And I just felt like I had a lot to say. uh, And that naturally evolved into trying to create opportunities where I could, you know, could steer things a little bit more. Um, And in terms of the entrepreneurial aspect, it's one of those things that, you know, you learn over time. Um, I have the benefit of, of having done this for a good while now. And so, you know, a lot of the, the practices today were learned by, you know, doing stuff the wrong way when you're young and clunky and still kind of finding your feet. But, you know, I really enjoy the challenges of, you know, running and managing this thing. Um, it's, it's equally challenging and rewarding, I guess. Well, it seems like with the likes of your client list, which is, you know, includes Boulevard Brewing and Austin Beer Works and New Belgian Brewing. And maybe I'm sensing a theme here, Jack Daniels, SoCo. <laughs> um, if if you can drink it, they're a client of yours. And, and of course, Frank. But I mean, you guys have had a lot of really cool and interesting clients. So what do you think or, or from your perspective, what makes for a really great client for Helms Workshop? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, you know, I think for us, our best clients um, have a quality product, are really passionate about what they do and really connected to it. Um, they're empowered to make decisions and you know bold enough to follow through with them and then trust us to craft something remarkable and hopefully unexpected. And the thing is that really applies across industry. Um, it can apply to practically any space. Um, we've done a ton of work in craft beer and spirits. Um, but, you know, right now we're excited about we're working on a boot brand. We're working on a snack food company. Um, we're about to start on this boutique, rustic kind of design forward resort out in the Texas Hill Country. And it's it's a parallel conversation to what we've done uh, in in these other areas. We have definitely done a ton of beer and we love craft beer. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm a fan as a consumer, but also that culture um, and the community is really just dedicated to, you know, a level of craft and care um, 
that I really connect with. And they're also just good folks, you know? So it's just, it's one of those things where it's just made sense to do more of. But at the same time, I think for every brewery we work with, we probably end up not working with, you know, four or five or more that we talk to um, because we really like to pick and choose. We like to bet on the right horse, you know, and we want to make sure we're really aligned and connecting and in a meaningful way that's going to produce good work. So I think that's a good segue into one of my other favorite questions, which is, you know, for those clients that you don't connect with, and I'm sure there are some that decide maybe you're not a fit for them, you know, heaven knows we've got our fair share of those, but you know, how do, how do you determine, you know, what are some of those red flags or things that you guys watch out for outside of like, okay, they don't want to hire us or they don't have the budget, but like, what are some of the other maybe more um, delicate things to suss out that you guys look for to, that are kind of non-starters? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It, it really, it, it gets weighed against that sort of portrait I painted earlier of what our, our perfect client or our dream client is. Um, you know, in this exercise we're doing internally, there's a note on the board that says, you know, that says plain is acceptable. Um, shitty is a non-starter. So <laughs> if the product is just no good, if it's cheap and there's no real value in it, then that's probably not for us. Like we don't want to broadcast false promises and building the brand. There's got to be that synergy between, you know, the quality of the product and, and what we do. Um, and outside of that, you know, you just get into these initial new business conversations and from talking through, you know, normally I spend the first chunk of that just asking questions about the business and the planning and the funding and, you know, where they are in, you know, process X, Y, and Z. And you really get a sense of whether they've got it together or not and, you know, how they're thinking about things. And then we talk about, you know, where the brand might go and, and, you know, just get into that as well. And through those initial conversations, which are really, you know, pretty informal, you can just start to get a sense of who's got it together, who really cares about what they're doing versus trying to just kind of churn out some widgets to make some money. And there's nothing wrong with making money. And then who you're going to really be able to collaborate with in a meaningful way. Um, so it's, it's pretty organic. Uh, but I feel like at this point you hop on a new business call or walk into a meeting and it's just a few minutes in and I can kind of tell these, this is our client or this is definitely not our client and probably the same for them. Yeah. So when you say, um, they've got it together, I would imagine sometimes, especially with all the, um, beer work that you guys have done that you're probably seeing a lot of startups is, is that more where the the filter of do they have it together or not comes into play? Like, is this product actually going to make it to market and is our, is our right. work going to be realized? Yeah, I think so. That's, I think they're, they're kind of two extremes to that. And one is, you know, is a startup and have they done their homework and are they really geared up for this? And, you know, maybe they're green in some areas, but they're really covering their bases and thinking about this the right way. And then on the other end of the you know spectrum, it can be a brand that's been around for 25 years, but you can tell they're just not realistic about who they are and what they're about mm-hmm. and how they relate to the market. And it's okay to be a bit disconnected from that at the beginning of the process, but if there's not a real willingness to learn and realize what's true so you can act on it, then there's not a lot of opportunity for us to really connect or do great work. So 
either of those can be an issue. But with startups, you know, we've, we're working on a project right now with some folks who are amazingly talented and a little green, um, but so motivated and so just on it. Either, you know, they've either started figuring out these key aspects of what they need to do in terms of the business, or they're actively pursuing mentorship to do it. And folks like that will jump in and help, absolutely. Um, you don't have to have it all figured out, but if you have that drive and you're showing that you're putting 110% into you know, the momentum that's needed to really carry a business forward, that's, that's something we'd love to jump in and help. Well, maybe we can, um, we can always shift back to some of the beer clients. I know you guys have done stuff for Austin Beer Works, like technically forever, but maybe tell us a little bit about your, um, your work with Native here recently, because that's, that's a cool project. Yeah, it was really, it was really an interesting project. So it's essentially a boutique hostel. Um, and, you know, I don't have a ton of experience with hostels personally, so I got to get in and kind of learn what that whole scene is about so that I could really understand how these guys were going to turn it on its head. Um, so they've essentially built this really small design forward experiential hostel where, you know, there are rooms that you can stay in either, uh, you know, as a group or as part of a shared room or as a single room. But the thing that makes it interesting is it's connected to an event space and a really great restaurant and bar mm. and this, you know, really cool lounge that a designer, uh, an interior designer named Joel Masursky here um, really just threw a lot at to make amazing. Uh, and it's housed in a, uh, an old early 1900s, used to be a grocery store building. So big two-story limestone thing. Um, and it's just from the architecture to their approach to the business, to their willingness to do something with the brand identity that's pretty unique in the hospitality space. It just kept checking boxes for us that were really compelling. And the guys didn't quite know what the brand was yet when they came to us, which is, is a good thing. But they had this vision of kind of this dark and stormy, um, sort of provocative, mysterious atmosphere. And that's kind of all they had dialed in at that point. So we were really able to help build a brand from that uh, in parallel with the architecture and interiors team, which is always a ton of fun. If you can, you know, be part of crafting the space from the ground up and collaborating with those folks, it just really amplifies what everyone's doing. So do they have, um, it's interesting that they've combined those things. Do they feel like there's a lot of, of overlap that their, their hostile clients or customers are also, you know, just as likely to, to be restaurant customers. And like, is there this great like little ecosystem that develops or do they find that that's really separate? Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's great because the especially you know Austin is kind of a perfect space for it where there's just so much you know tourism here um you know culinary um you know event and otherwise and what those guys found is that you can keep the room rates low and then literally end up with folks eating every meal at the restaurant having mm -hmm. a couple of drinks in the lounge and you could 
you could visit and, you know, spend the majority of your time there and have an amazing experience because they're bringing so much culture into the space with music and events and art. But also it's become sort of a destination for folks who live in Austin and just want to go to a really unique place and have a bite or a coffee in the morning or a drink and see, you know, see some interesting event late night. So it's as much for Austin as it is for travelers. And there's a real organic mix of so many interesting things there that really starts to kind of touch on a comprehensive Austin experience. It's it's a rare model. Um, and I think, you know, outside of this amazing building and the interior and the brand of their programming really supports that. So again, there's that nice lockup between what we're doing with design and what they're delivering every day just matches up pretty perfectly. I think it's, you know, maybe cultural or generational, but this idea of that somebody's more interested in paying for these meaningful experiences than they are, you know, a fancy five-star hotel. So they'll, <laughs> you know, pay the low rate Absolutely. to stay in the hostel and then they'll, you know, drop all their cash on the, on the, the food and the drinks. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you, you know, gone to say New York and, you know, you get a nice room that you never spend any time in because you're out, you know, you, there's no way you go to New York and you sit in the room, but yet you invest in this room you barely use. So the hostel model is really smart in that way. And absolutely, it's it's that experienced based model um, that is obviously just kind of huge right now and hopefully will continue to be. So I wonder what you think may be the most powerful things that you've learned. You guys have been in business here about nine years. So what are some of the most important things that you feel like that you've learned as a, as a business owner and leader of a creative business in those nine years? Yeah, I think a couple that just kind of spring to mind. Um, one is to trust your gut when it comes to potential clients and projects. You know, again, we're, we're really good about taking on projects and, and clients that are great partners. But once every so often, you know, one will kind of slip through the cracks um, and, and be a little bit outside of our sweet spot in terms of the, the kind of partnership that we really enjoy. And really, it seems like every time my gut at one point told me, you know, this might not be the one for us. And one way or another, we've kind of talked ourselves into the project. And, you know, <laughs> when that happens, you're seldom surprised in the opposite direction. So I think really trusting your gut and getting really comfortable with saying no to work that you don't think fits your sweet spot can be difficult to do. But it really helps preserve the, you know, the morale and the vibe of your team. And it also, it helps to protect your brand. You know, the folks that we partner with are an extension of, of who we are and what we do. Uh, and they represent us out in the world as well. So we want to be protective of that. So that's certainly something that is discussed often uh, around here. Um, and then I think another is to hire good, good people. And again, that sounds like a no brainer, right? Like my, it's like a sentence my son would write <laughs> in first grade, hire good people. But more often than not, I've found us hiring, not necessarily the best portfolio 
in terms of design. Um, certainly excellent work, but there may be a flashier portfolio in you know the contender set. Um, but focusing on making sure you just hire a really excellent human being, a person who will represent the studio well, not just in terms of the excellence, you know, in their work, but their excellence of character and demeanor and the way they conduct themselves is huge in terms of building something that's really sustainable and and strong. I've, you know, I've never, (laughs) I've never been sorry about making a hiring choice based on the person's character. Um, And just, again, being a really excellent person. And those folks, even if their portfolios aren't quite as strong as someone else, tend to jump in and work really hard and excel and grow at a rapid rate. So you end up with the best of both worlds long term. You know, I I overheard this comment the other day, actually in my office from my design team. And I don't necessarily have a point of view on this, but I knew I was going to be talking to you soon. And I thought, I'm going to ask Christian what he thinks about this. But I was walking by my guys and they were looking at some website or dribble or who knows what. And, and I heard one of them say to the others, yeah, I feel like Austin has a look to it. Like you can almost tell that a design firm's from Austin when you see their stuff. So I'm curious what you think about, like, does, is there a design look in Austin or do you, does that resonate with you or like, do you see particular trends that seem to be regional specific to Austin? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, it's a small community, so there's certainly cross pollination and I don't know about just specifically in Austin, but I think just, you know, practically globally at this point, you see trends, um, you know, visual trends kind of evolving and washing across different media. Uh, I can remember, you know, when I was in school pre, you know, heavy, heavy online design presence, um, it was all folks kind of watching the design annuals, right? You know, CA or, or print or, you know, graphics or whatever would come out. And then everything the following year would look like the stuff that won awards (laughs) (laughs) the previous year, right? Um, you could just see it and you could really, I think, see some regional trends then as well, like particularly Texas back in like the early 90s, you know, or, you know, mid 90s to 2000s, maybe um, had just like this beastly machine of just like badass logo designers. Um, you had folks like David Campa and Chris Hill and like all the folks at the Richards group. And it's like Texas just crushed logos. And it's hilarious because at that point, I would never would have imagined myself in Texas. But I remember even then kind of seeing that ah, there's kind of a thing that they do regionally really well. And I don't know why that is. I wonder if it's competitive. You know, you pack a bunch of folks into a confined space. Mm-hmm. I think that may be the only time anyone's ever called Texas the confined space. <laughs> it's huge. But you put folks in proximity to each other where they're paying attention to each other. And there's probably a natural inclination to want to try to to kind of, you know, exceed and excel there. So maybe that's why, you know, back then Texas was just a logo beast is because they were all looking, you know, you know, a few towns over um, at what someone else was doing and wanting to kind of take it a step further. So maybe that's that's what's happening here as well. It's sort of hard to tell. We're in it. So um, we're probably not the most objective uh, opinion, but I know there's a lot of great design here and there are a lot of talented folks. And, you know, when I 
first moved here, gosh, 15 plus years ago, um, it was sort of sleepy. And there were there were great folks in town doing great work, but there wasn't this sort of critical mass that we have now. So it's a really fun time to be part of the design community. I think that's interesting to see kind of how those things happen. Even like I've noticed little trends that happen. You know, you see something on on Dribble or on Pinterest or on something else, and then you just sort of see more of that work faster and the way the digital and social media element to design is today. It's just mm-hmm. like those trends are so much faster than, than seeing the print design regional and a year later or seeing similar work. It's more like you see a post and then a week later you see 30 more posts that, <laughs> that have that same vibe to it. Right. So it's, it's sort of a blessing and a curse all at the same time, but maybe shifting gears a little bit. I'm curious what you would count. And if you have more than more than one of these, we can talk about that too. But if you have anything that you would consider your proudest moment as a designer. Oh man, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't have a go-to immediately because I don't think I, I think about it that way. I'm generally focused on what we're doing next and, and sort of how to push into something new and, and challenging or exciting. Um, so I don't, as a habit, do a lot of sort of wistful looking back, looking back at the portfolio and kind of remembering the day. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I think probably getting to a point where the agency was hitting on all cylinders uh, is a biggie for me, where it tipped from being very me focused in terms of the work and became a real true mm-hmm. team um, of collaborators. Uh, that's a biggie. Gosh, I'm trying to think project wise. Uh, we did a promotional project for Austin Beer Works a number of years ago where we wanted to reintroduce a new beer called Anytime Ale. And as part of that, we created a 99 pack of beer that was sold in retail stores. And that ended up getting. <laughs> global news attention, um, which we thought it would make some noise maybe nationally as a, as all, you know, a fun joke, but it really became like this thing. Um, so I think surprises like that, when you can work with a client on something that's smart and fun and creative without a lot of barriers or, or second guessing and have it prove itself true in terms of the way folks are entertained and then the way they connect to it. Uh, that's exciting. And I think we've had a lot of that on a big overblown scale like that. And then on a small scale as well, you know, anytime we can kind of create something that surprises or, or delights folks for me, that's always just kind of the, the best part. Do you have any design heroes? Oh, sure. Geez. Well, we talked about Beirut earlier. That guy, um, is just, I could talk for, you know, the entire segment about how brilliant he is in terms of not just design and and working with his team, but the way he talks to clients. You can be in a room with him and this client is really difficult and posing really difficult sort of cantankerous challenges. And then Michael just starts talking. And by the time he's done, everyone is just nodding their head and boom, you know, it is what it is from there. And it it just appears effortless. So that was just always remarkable to me. So uh, certainly him. Uh, James McTory, who is very different than Michael, 
is a guy that I just, you know, kind of idolized as a kid. And I got to know over the years and, and he, you know, has really become a mentor and a, a good friend and actually moved to Texas fairly recently, um, which is a, a big, <laughs> is a big ton of fun. Uh, John Bielenberg, who mm-hmm. is part mm-hmm. of Future Partners and started Project M. I've been lucky enough to, to have him as a mentor as well. And, and his thinking is just, you know, it's so unconventional and smart. Um, I'm a big fan of his as well. And I could probably go on and on. And then there's, there's Paul Rand and there's Lustig and all, there's all these great, you know, icons further back that just visually um, I'm really inspired by. And also, by the way, they thought. So I could just kind of go on and on, but that's a handful. That's a good list and uh, lots of ones that I would agree with. You know, one of my other favorite questions to ask people is part of the namesake of the show, being obsessed. Um, I, I find that designers, maybe more than any other humans on the face of the earth, latch on to something. So I'm curious what it is that you find yourself most obsessed with right now. That could be in design or could be out of the world of design, something just with life. But what would you rank as your number one obsession right now? Yeah, it's a problem. Um, (laughs) As you know, it can be very disruptive to everyday life and uh, relationships and all kinds of stuff. Jeez, I mean, there's so many. It's kind of big and small. Like I went on this whole pocket knife slant for a while where uh, there are a handful of these really interesting pocket knife companies that I kind of, there's a company called Great Eastern um, that's a tiny little shop it's, you know, it's family owned and run. It's, it's absolutely tiny, but the knives they make are just really beautiful and just amazingly well-made. And they have this real sort of design element to them. Um, little icons and smart little design features that I just kind of dove into for a while. Um, and I still want to work with them so badly. I've contacted just about everybody until I'm sure they're I, they've got some kind of block on me at this point um, <laughs> just because I love them so much. But they're tiny. Like we could, I don't think we could even work with them. They're so small. We just moved fairly recently into a new studio space, and that means there's more wall space. We expanded a bit. So, you know, cut to me on all of these international poster sites, tracking down these ridiculously beautiful sort of hyper-real, uh, gigantic advertising posters. Um, we have one that hangs in my living room over our mantle and it's a a banaka toothpaste ad (laughs) from the 40 and it's this huge squirrel with giant buck teeth and claws brushing his teeth standing on a branch and it's it's absolutely ridiculous and slightly disturbing and absolutely awe-inspiring in the way it's rendered um and my wife is wonderful enough and aligned with me enough on kind of a love of quirk that it ended up over our mantle uh, in our house, which it just, I still love that thing. So those are two. I mean, this could go on forever. <laughs> you know how it is. Maybe a different type of obsession, but I'm curious. I mean, you guys have done so much cool stuff. There are probably young designers or maybe young and very experienced alike who would look at your website or your work and go, oh man, I'd love to do a beer project someday or love to work with a hostel or to do something where I could like what they did with Frank's, but I'm curious what's what's high on your bucket list for a project type that you'd still love to do someday that you haven't had a chance to do yet. Yeah, so there are 
are plenty. Um, we'd love to work on cannabis because I think our you know CPG knowledge would be really valuable there, and it's such a cool emerging industry. So I think that would be a ton of fun, uh, and that seems to get. And Pentagram's been doing kind of a, a run on that as well here lately. They have, yeah. They've done some really interesting stuff, um, and it's just it's an emerging industry in terms of having a sense of brand. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of opportunity that sort of parallels, you know, when we started in craft beer. And then outside of that, we'd love to do some outdoor lifestyle stuff, whether that's clothing or, or pocket knives or or who mm-hmm. knows, um, you know, more sort of performance outdoor stuff. And then we've talked a lot recently about footwear as well. We're designers. We like shoes, you know. Um, it's just, just kind of the way it works. And I think, you know, a lot of our kind of clients to target live in a space of things that we enjoy and and use. Um, So we don't have like semiconductors on our list, although that's like really profitable, (laughs) right? Because nobody here is like just fired up and horny about semiconductors. You know, it's just (laughs) just not where we land. So I think we're probably a little bit selfish in that regard where if we're going to name dream clients, it's going to be stuff that we personally really, you know, aspire to, to align with. Is there anything out there right now, maybe design trends or, or just things that you see out in the wild that just absolutely drive you bonkers right now? Oh, man, it's a long list. And it's one of those things where, you know, you talked about drinking out of a fire hose. I think they're all kind of bottlenecking in my head at this point. So I don't have an immediate go to because there's just so much that that just kind of annoys the shit out of you. You can't turn that off, you know, and And again, it's like really annoying for, you know, like family and friends sometimes. Um, But uh, no, I can't think of a, I guarantee we get off the interview and I think of 15 things, but there's not an immediate, you know, (laughs) thing that's coming to mind um, because they're just everywhere. You know, it's kind of like a low grade hum that you just learn to tune out as best as best you can. That's a good way to put it. Well, maybe before we wrap up here, I'm curious what your favorite piece of advice is, either that you've received or your favorite piece of advice to pass along to like interns or young, young creatives. Wow. That's another big one. You know, I'll, I'll give you one that I read recently, which is, is someone said, um, do the early work on finding your true kind of core of self and then just pursue that just doggedly nonstop. Um, I think if you can figure that out early and start to build what you do with your life around that, you're going to be in a place that is exciting and fulfilling. So that's a great way to sidestep picking a uh, one piece of advice that means the most to me. But that really resonated with me lately. So I'll go with that. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, Christian, I appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. Maybe we can get you in line here for for a round two at some point in the future. And you can just tell us all the things that drive you crazy. (laughs) Great. We can dedicate (laughs) an entire hour to that. That sounds good, Josh. And now Christian gripes. but. Uh, before we let you go here, tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs and find your website or you personally and good ways to connect. Yeah, absolutely. So we're online at helmsworkshop.com, uh, helms underscore workshop on the Instagram. Uh, and then personally, it's uh, X-I-A-N helms uh, on Instagram. And 
and all the other platforms as well. Awesome. Well, we will definitely link up to all the stuff that you talked about today in the show notes. And uh, I appreciate you taking some time to hang out with us today. Absolutely. Thanks again, Josh. Yeah. And thanks for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, that's episode number 80 in the books. For all of today's show notes, head on over to obsessedshow.com. If you haven't noticed, we've started placing the actual recording inside the blog post. So if you go over to obsessedshow.com, click on episodes and find that most recent episode, you can actually listen right there in the web browser along with all the notes. So that's fantastic. And of course, if you have not yet, please head over to iTunes and hit that subscribe button. We also would love a rating and review to help other people find the show. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Our show is produced by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. Head over to BrassyBroad.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.